What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we begin, I'm going to give my very first patron, Jake D., a happy birthday shout-out. Happy birthday, Jake, you vile Virgo, you. Try not to skin anyone. This show may contain adult language and themes. Listener discretion is advised. With that out of the way, let's start the show. You're listening to Murder Is My Sign podcast, the podcast where we talk true crime and astrology. I'm your host, Jordy Death, here to light your way through the true crime astrology storm. Welcome one and all to the Virgo episode of MIMS, or Murder Is My Sign. And as you've probably figured out from listening to the Leo episode and or seeing the title of this one, we are covering yet another Wisconsin heavy hitter. The OG of gross people, the ghoul of ghouls, Mr. Edward Gain. Yes, we are covering the serial killer that was literally in my backyard. Well, okay, not not really in my backyard, but like my great grandma's backyard because like my family's from central Wisconsin, which is where, you know, he's from. And, you know, I got stories. We all got connections. I mean, if you if you grew up in Wisconsin, if your family's from Wisconsin, pretty much everyone here will have a connection to either Jeffrey Dahmer or Ed Gein. And apparently I got a pretty, I don't want to say close, but it's like three degrees of separation closeness to Ed Gein, um, but we'll all get into that in a little bit here. So, um, I've looked forward to doing this episode almost as bad as, like, when I was, uh, started doing this, looking forward to doing the Jeffrey Dahmer episodes, so it's just something about Wisconsin serial killers that just gets me, maybe it's Wisconsin pride, maybe it's because I just grew up in the state and I just have a special place in my heart, uh, you know, for the home team, I guess, but, um... But yeah, I'm really, really excited. And just like, you know, with Dahmer, that was multiple episodes. Ed Gein will be multiple episodes too, just because I want to keep keep them kind of short and sweet. Um, but there's a lot of information. And actually, we got a lot of myth debunking to do with Ed Gein um, and, and things like that. So, all right. Um, as I mentioned, everyone, if you grew up in Wisconsin, chances are you, you have some sort of 
family member that either knew Gein or knew Jeffrey Dahmer or what have you. You have some some stories, right? Um, so when apparently, so my great grandma grew up in Almond, Wisconsin, which is um, a, a very small town in central Wisconsin, um, pretty close to Plainfield, which is where Ed Gein, you know, is, is bit more or less from. And so I guess my, my grandpa, my great grandma's son grew up and I can't remember if my grandpa never really hunted, but my grandpa's brother Orlo, I guess, hunted and they would go hunting with Ed Gein. And, uh, I can't remember exactly what my mom said, but apparently, um, I can't remember if it, if Ed said that they ate cereal too slow, or if they said that Ed ate too cereal, cereal too slow, but either way, I think they went hunting with him like once or twice. Like my, my, um, my great uncle, I guess my, my grandpa's brother. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, kind of cool, kind of creepy, kind of fun, I suppose. Uh, my mom could do a much better job explaining that particular story, but apparently there is someone in the family who grew up near where Gein lived and um, went hunting with him, which, you know, is is not that unusual because, you know, hunting is a huge pastime here in Wisconsin, especially in the Midwest, especially um, with open deer season. So, anywho, um, I do apologize if my voice sounds a little strained. I woke up with a sore cold, uh, sore cold. <laughs> Fuck me. Clearly, the the cold medicines are not working right now. Um, I woke up with I woke up with a sore throat, and apparently there is some sort of cold or something that is going around. You know, it just we just started September. School just started. Like I don't understand how the cold and flu season is already starting. It's this is I'm calling bullshit on this. This is this sucks. Like I'm not a fan of this. We're already five minutes in, and I'm just fucking rambling. Okay. But we're not here for this. We're here for Ed Gein and Virgos. So Virgos, this is your episode. You know, we are almost done with this season one of Murder is My Sign. And um, I'm just really, really excited to, you know, talk about this. So before we even like really begin to get into the meat of this episode, I wanted to spell two myths about Ed Gein. All right. One, he technically was not a serial killer. He's only attributed to two deaths, all right? Um, And in order to be a serial killer, as we talked about earlier in the series, is you have to have multiple deaths over a period of time in multiple locations, all right? So Ed Gein, as we'll talk about later, he was only really attributed to two deaths, and he was convicted of one, all right? And two, he's not a cannibal. I know I have, I know I personally have a shirt that says, this is Wisconsin, we eat people, and it has Jeffrey Dahmer and Ed Gein on the outline of Wisconsin, but it, it, it's technically wrong. I mean, yes, Dahmer was a cannibal. I mean, he's confessed to that. We've talked about that already in the Gemini's episode. But Ed Gein was not a classic cannibal. He did not eat the flesh of people. Granted, he did eat pork and beans out of a skull, but I don't know. Maybe that's like, like a weird fine gray area for cannibalism. I really don't know. But technically... In the traditional sense, I suppose, like Albert Fish and Jeffrey Dahmer, he was not a cannibal. So he does not really belong to that particular boys club of killers, okay? But we'll get into all that ghoulish stuff in due time. Right now, though, let's start talking about the sign of Virgo. 
Virgo runs from August 23rd to September 22nd, and it's an Earth sign. It's ruled by the planet Mercury, the communicator. So when Mercury goes in retrograde, things can get a bit more complicated for our dear virgin Virgos, just like our twin friends, Geminis, who are also ruled by Mercury. And the next Mercury retrograde is going to be happening around Halloween, guys. So just prepare yourselves for that. I know it sounds, I know it feels like we just got out of one, but it happens at least three to four times a year. And, you know, unfortunately, it's happening again. But this is the last time for two, for 2019, I promise you that. The tarot card that is associated with Virgo is the Hermit, which represents inner strength and a time when the soul must learn to walk alone through the darkness, guided by God and the inner light of spirit. The key, free, the key phrase that Virgos live by is, busy is better than bored. Virgo is the sign of work and self-improvement. People born under this sign tend to be perfectionists who dissect facts in order to find the truth. We'll soon hear about what exactly it was that Ed Gein dissected, and let's just say it was to find the hidden truth inside a woman. Anywho, so given that Virgos are so analytical and love processing information, it's not a huge surprise that the part of the body that they rule is the nervous system and the intestines. Virgos are prone to illnesses caused by stress and nervous tension, probably because they're always up in their head overthinking everything. This stress and nervousness can make them very susceptible to ulcers. And although I'm not a Virgo and I actually don't have Virgo anywhere in my chart personally, I can absolutely empathize with the overthinking things and having to deal with anxiety and stress that causes stomach issues because, you know, I've experienced that a lot and it's not fun. Virgo is symbolized by the Virgin and, oh God, what sort of horrible mythology story will we hear this time? And you know what, this time I'm not going to forget it because we're going to actually go straight into this. So, but first... The Virgo, so it's represented by the Virgin, right? Um, which represents purity, obviously, and modesty, industriousness, and service to fellow worker, to fellow workers. They do make a hell of a coworker. Shout out to my dear colleague and creative comrade Tyson, who's also a Virgo. He's actually the one who helped me come up with the title of this podcast. So, it's quality rather than quantity that Virgos are after. Much like another earth sign that we covered back in April, Taurus. They want the finer things in life. So let's get into the mythology now. Virgo is the sixth sign of the zodiac and the second to have human representation right after rather than an animal. Remember Gemini the twins? They're technically the first. The constellation of Virgo has always been associated with the harvest, and so the sign is often depicted as a young woman holding a sheaf of wheat. When it comes to the legend of Virgo, we go back to the Greek myth of creation. Way before the time of man, even before animals lived on Earth, a race of giants called Titans ruled over the world. Two brothers, Prometheus and Epheus, were given the task of creating human beings and animals. Seems a bit weird that it would fall to two men and not, you know, a woman who can actually give birth, but what do I know? It's all mythology. It's all fucked. So 
when they were done with their little science experiments, Epthius started giving various gifts to the animals, like a birthday present, you know? He gave wings to one kind, claws to another, and apparently got drunk and mixed up some gifts and gave a bunch of them to the platypus. Well, Epthius was so generous with the gift giving that when it came time to give gifts to mankind, he was fresh out. You get a gift and you get a gift, but not you humans. You get nothing but crippling anxiety and depression. He ended up asking his brother Prometheus for help. So good guy Prometheus went into heaven and came back with the gift of fire, which I guess is cool. I mean, I would have liked better metabolism or, you know, a million bucks. But yeah, no, fire. Great. Thanks, Prometheus. Fire made man superior to other species because it allowed us to keep warm, make tools, and eventually develop commerce and science. Although, you know, I doubt the tribes in the Amazon are feeling super excited about this gift right now. I mean, did you guys know that there's been a fire raging in the Amazon for like over a month by this point and no one seems to be talking about it? I mean, please, by all means, pause the podcast and Google this. Shit's cray, yo. Anywho. But, you know, uh, no gift is truly free. And when Jupiter, a.k.a. Zeus, found out that Prometheus gave humans fire, he got so freaking pissed off, he bound Prometheus to a rock on Mount Caucasus, 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 whatever, um, where an eagle constantly tore at his liver, although never entirely consuming it. Because nothing says overreacting than binding someone to a fucking rock on a mountain with a bird of prey feasting on their fucking liver. God damn it, Zeus, come on! But Zeus was done having but was Zeus done having his little hissy fit? No. He sent a curse to the earth brought by the first woman, and her name was Pandora, which means gift of all the gods. Because why wouldn't Zeus just take sole responsibility for being a dick? No, he has to drag everyone along with him. And we all know that Pandora brought with her a box of evil goodies that she was told never to open. Yet lo and behold, she fucking did. And Christ, everything, and I mean everything, sprang from that fucking box. Sickness, death, Anger, envy, revenge, hemorrhoids, all escaped from the box. The only thing that had not escaped was hope. Probably because it was fucking lost in the box of evil. So during the shit show that was now the earth, the gods decided to take their leave and go live in heaven, away from the hot mess that Zeus essentially created. The very last person to leave was Astraea, goddess of innocence and purity. After leaving the earth, she was placed among the stars and became the constellation of Virgo. And legend has it that one day the Golden Age will come again and Australia, or Virgo, will return to earth. Not sure when the hell that's supposed to happen, but I doubt it will be during the dumpster fire of this era we're all living in. You know, all things considered, from what we have covered in previous episodes regarding the mythology of the Zodiac... I'm really surprised that Jupiter didn't do anything extremely rude to Australia, aka Virgo. I mean, he turned himself into a bull just to get some punani. You know what I mean? I mean, it. he's done some really crazy shit just to get some nookie. I mean, 
that song by Limp Bizkit, I did it all for the nookie. Well, Zeus did it all and then some. But enough chit chat. It's time to offer this virgin up to Ed Gein as our sacrifice. Granted, Eddie didn't really go for the young ones. He is more into women who reminded him of his mother. So if you've seen the movie Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and or Silence of the Lambs, you may already know that all of those movies were heavily influenced by the horrors of Ed Gein. But before we can talk horror, we gotta set the backdrop and get the backstory going on the Gein family. The main source material that I will be using for the information surrounding Ed Gein and what transpired will be Harold Shetler's book called Deviant, an exceptionally well-written account of how Eddie grew up and what exactly happened. The guys over at Last Podcast on the left used this book for their three-parter they did a few years ago, and it came to work the other day, or came to work a couple of months ago, actually. And I picked it up, not realizing that it was the book that they used. And honestly, I've really enjoyed reading it. And if you're into true crime and you want to read more about this, definitely go pick it up. And also Harold um, Shredder's books are just phenomenal and very well written as well. So, So let's set the scene, shall we? Wisconsin, America's dairy state. We have vast fields and beautiful farm country, but... As you head north towards central Wisconsin, where I'm originally from, the rolling hills and lush farm country becomes flat and infertile and is known as sand country. And as the author Harold Shetler puts it, others have called it Wisconsin's great dead heart. We are now going to hop into our little time machine and travel all the way back to 1879 near Coon Valley, Wisconsin, which is about 15 miles outside of La Crosse. Here, we see little Georgie Gein, three years old, living on a farm with his family, mama, papa, and older sister. And one very gloomy and rainy morning, mama, papa, and older sister hop into the old buckboard, which is a very simple horse-drawn carriage. And off they go to town on an errand for what I don't know, but it's 1879, so we know it wasn't a target run. Little Georgie was left at home and made a little sailboat out of paper, only to have it swept away into the sewer. He ran after it in his little galoshes and yellow raincoat and started crying when it went down into the sewer. But lo and behold, a friendly dancing clown named Pennywise was down there to save his little boat. He promptly returned it to little Georgie and then bit his fucking arm off. Wait, 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 that, that, that's the opening scene of the movie, It. What the hell are we talking about? Oh yeah, Ed Gein. Sorry, <laughs> wrong story. Oh yes, okay, Georgie Gein. Oh, in case you freaks haven't put two and two together, George would eventually become Eddie's father. Anywho, back to the story of Georgie's family. So it's rainy and the Mississippi River is extremely high. George is left at home and is three years old. His mom, dad, and older sister are all in a little horse-drawn carriage when a flash flood suddenly happens and wipes away the entire family, never to be seen again. So little Georgie went to go live with his Scottish immigrant maternal grandparents, and it would seem as if his apparent dark shadow of bad luck and total lack of fucks would follow him through all of his days. George grew up, completed elementary school, which was the norm back in the day, 
and became a blacksmith apprentice, working for several years as such. Then one day, in his early 20s, George decided to set off to the nearest city and left his grandparents' farm behind. The nearest city was La Crosse, of course, and soon enough, George developed a pattern of hopping from one job to another. He sold insurance, worked as a carpenter in a tannery, worked as at the city power plant, basically took any odd job that was around. This guy was just lazy, just fucking lazy, and also a drunk. So combine those two and you get yourself a class A asshole who doesn't do shit. He had this whole mentality that the world and everyone in it were always against him since he was an orphan at three years old. He had horrible self-esteem. Again, the cycle of drinking, negative feelings regarding himself and the world, and not seemed to be able to hold a job for very long, made him feel like a total and complete failure. But apparently, he was just the right mix of pathetic because George was able to find love. And I mean, I can kind of sort of empathize because I seem to attract the same kind of person into my life, the whole online dating. But I don't know, maybe I'm just over-identifying with all of this. Anywho, that love was named Augusta. And she came from a large German family that settled in La Crosse in 1870. When the two met, George was 24 and Augusta was 19. She was built like a brick shit house, sturdy with a broad face and coarse features that were permanently set into resting bitch face. She was a very determined woman and devoutly, perhaps even fanatically religious, having been raised Lutheran, which is part of the course when your family's German and you're in Wisconsin. Shout out to all the others out there who come from a very German Lutheran family. Holla. Augusta was raised in a very old-world values kind of household, which was incredibly strict. Her father was more than happy to reinforce this within her with regular beatings. Perhaps it was the extremity of these values that Augusta was raised with that caused her to vehemently hate the flagrant immorality of the modern world. Or maybe she was just such a Debbie Downer or negative Nancy, she just didn't want anyone to have any fun or enjoy life ever. Because if you're not suffering, you're not living. I swear to God, that was probably her motto. So George the Orphan meets Augusta, the very strict and not super pleasant, but comes from a very large family woman. The two meet and were married on December 4th, 1899. And shortly thereafter, Augusta realized what a chump she married. It's almost like she got catfished, but not really. George was a lazy pushover of a man who prompted her to quickly assume the role of domestic tyrant now that she was in charge of her own household. And if you thought she was unpleasant before marriage, she became unbearably worse when she was married. The more that Augusta would yell at George and belittle him, the more he would withdraw within, into himself. On more than one occasion, however, after returning from spending time at the local tavern drinking, George would lose control of, from the constant biting remarks that Augusta would, would say and then flail out at her, giving her a good old-fashioned open-handed bitch slap. And uncharacteristically, I guess, Augusta would shrink to the floor, wailing and then proceed to get onto her knees and pray fervently for her husband's death. 
Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray for you to send the angel of death upon my horrid husband, George, and take his lazy ass to the depths of hell. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Like so many terrible, toxic relationships, especially when marriage is involved. More often than not, someone in the relationship thinks that having a baby will solve their problems. I mean, sure, (laughs) why wouldn't a defenseless shitting factory that can't contribute to anything for the first 10 years of its life be absolutely a problem solver in your very poorly planned out marriage to a sack of shit drunk? (laughs) Oh wait, it was the early 20th century? Well, I guess your hands are tied. Procreate with abandon then. For Augusta, though, she did believe that having a child would comfort her and would even work as an ally with her against George. However, her views about sex were very extreme. And I'm not talking Albert Fish extreme. I'm talking like she, like, just hated it. She believed that this unsanctified marriage um, was an abomination and an unpardonable sin. She loathed sex and only merely tolerated it for the sole sake of procreation. It would appear as if Augusta's extreme views and perceptions were becoming warped into madness. Still, she did her wifely duties and conceived a child with her lackluster husband, George, and on January 17th, 1902, Henry was born. Life didn't change all that much. In fact, George lost yet another job. Augusta decided the only solution now was to open up their own store and become merchants, just like her two brothers did. So in 1909, George Gein opened up a small meat and grocery shop on Caledonia Street in La Crosse. It didn't take long for the store to become a shit show because George was a drunk ringleader and honest to God just couldn't do anything. So in steps Augusta to take control of the situation. Somewhere in all this madness, Augusta and George had relations again, and Augusta became pregnant. This time, she prayed for a daughter and believed that things would be better and different if only she had a daughter to scar for life. On August 27th, 1906, the ultimate disappointment arrived when Augusta gave birth to another boy, Edward Theodore Gein. Augusta felt bitter and betrayed by God, whom she fervently prayed to be blessed with a daughter. Gee, if only Henry VIII had your problem, Augusta. Regardless of the setback of being burdened with another boy, Augusta promised to herself that this one would be different. He would not become a lustful, foul-mouthed creature who made use of women's bodies in filthy ways. She would see to that personally. And so life began began for little Eddie Gein. He did his best to be a good boy for mommy, dearest. Yet he always seemed to fail and come up short. One instance of this was when they were still living in La Crosse. Augusta had given Eddie a few coins to go down to the local German bakery, which was only a block away from their home, to buy a loaf of bread. 
Eddie was around seven or so, and off he went to the bakery. But he never made it because somewhere between his house and the bakery, he had lost his money that his mother had given him. Eddie was terrified to go home. He stood in the street corner fighting back tears. After a spell, he eventually went home and sobbed into his mother's arms that he had lost the money. Augusta looked down upon her child with a mixture of bitterness and sorrow that always filled Eddie with deep level of self-hatred and said in a quiet voice, one that was more awful than a scream, You dreadful child, only a mother could love you. For whatever reason, though, Eddie thought that it was his mother could do no wrong. She was no less infallible than God. Because I guess, in the eyes of child, mother is God. And this was perhaps solidified into his young little mind when he was just a toddler standing upon the staircase in their old house, and he lost his balance and started to fall. The crushing grip of his mother's hand around his right arm pulled him back from the edge, and he was promptly yelled at by his towering mother, who was shaking with rage. Eddie burst into huge, racking sobs, consumed with conflicting emotions, fear, guilt, relief. He had no idea why his mother was so incredibly angry with him, but knew that it must have been his fault. Perhaps it was this pivotal moment in young Eddie's life that he began to place all of his reliance upon his mother, and this reliance would last well into Eddie's adulthood, really until the day Augusta died. As I mentioned, the family opened up a small grocery and meat shop while living in La Crosse. Behind the store was a wooden outbuilding that the animals would be brought around to to be butchered. Eddie was forbidden to enter. But all, but like all kids, when you tell them not to do something or go somewhere, that's exactly what they want to do. So one day, curiosity got the best of him, and he snuck around to the back of the wooden shack. The door was open just a crack, enough for Eddie to peer inside and get a good view of what was going on. A slaughtered hog was hanging upside down from a chain hooked into the ceiling. Eddie's father stood to one side of the hog, holding the body steady. On the other side was his mother, holding a long-bladed knife. She plunged the knife into the belly of the hog and dragged it down, opening up the flaps of the meat and pulling out the glistening ropes of the bowels and innards. The guts gathered into a large metal tub on the floor. Both of Eddie's parents wore long leather aprons that were splattered with blood. Little Eddie must have made a noise, though, perhaps a gasp of shock and awe at the sight of the slaughtered hog hanging from the ceiling, because his mother turned around to look at him, and this image would be forever seared into Eddie's mind, only to come out years later in an intensely grotesque way. In 1913, Augusta decided that the family would become farmers instead of merchants and moved the family to a farm outside of La Crosse. But just a year later, in 1914, the Gein family would relocate to a 195-acre farm in a small town in the heart of Wisconsin. This little town was called Plainfield.
And that is where we're going to stop today in our tales of gore with our vile Virgo, Eddie Gein. Just like what I did with Jeffrey Dahmer, I'm going to be splitting this story up into multiple parts so that way we can hit every note, debunk every myth, and leave no stone unturned in the life and crimes of Edward Theodore Gein. I want to thank you all so much for listening to Murder is My Sign. As always, if you like what you're hearing, you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to share Murder is My Sign with everyone that you can, any way that you can. You can find Murder is My Sign anywhere you get your podcasts. If you want to go above and beyond and support the show financially, you can buy your plot in the Boneyard at patreon.com backslash murder is my sign. Just like my fabulous patrons, Michelle H., Jake D., and the newest death head, Crystal K. Thank you, Crystal, for joining the death head army. Stay up to date on the episodes and what is going on in the world of me, Jordy Death, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube, all at Jordy Death. That's J-O-R-D-Y Death. Or if you want to be old school and email the show directly, you can always do so at murderismysignpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week for part two of Ed Gein, Vile Virgo. Until then... Take care of yourselves and each other and rest in peace. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.